Welcome back to That's a Good Word, podcast designed to assist and equip Christians through advice from people in ministry. If you are blessed by our content, we ask that you would like and subscribe to our channel. Also, next week during uh, Easter week, Holy Week, we'll be putting out a series of devotionals um, done by me and Keith Kelly that will be going through each day of Holy Week and focusing on a different story of Jesus last week on earth up until the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, if you like to keep up with those, you can check out our Facebook um, page or Instagram or YouTube channel. We'll be posting those daily on each day of, um, of Holy Week. So um, if you would, if you're interested in that, you can see more about that in our, on our, our social medias or check us out on YouTube. Um, we are very honored today to have on Reverend Bay Durham. Um, he is, I'm already giving the opportunity to second here to tell us a little bit about himself, but, um, but he's been in many ministry roles throughout his career. He currently serves as a chaplain with the police department. Um, Benny, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Right, but you, yes, sir. So I want to give you the opportunity just to tell us about your story in ministry and okay. uh, your testimony. All right. Yeah. So God's been good to me. All right. So kind of my testimony begins all the way back in 1967. That's when I was saying. My old boy, vacation Bible school. So I was still African of vacation Bible school because I got saved and uh, the Lord changed my life there. So, you know, a lot of the years through that, I don't want to talk about ashamed of. I did, I did try to serve the Lord as a, a young adult. Uh, well, church I grew up in, my Grand Baptist up above Pickens. And at 15 years old, I was Sunday school director. Back in those days, everybody came into the sanctuary. Before Sunday school, and I did a little devotion about the lesson. Right. So I, 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 so I was getting trained at an early age with that. Never really realized what God was doing. Looking back, I'd see how I was getting trained in the ministry. So anyway, in my 20s, um, uh, obviously I don't remember exactly the year that I felt God called me to preach. And I just kind of like, well, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> so I kind of pushed that away and unfortunately went the wrong way, trying to get away from God. That didn't work. And uh, finally, in 1984, August of 1984, uh, the Lord used my wife to get my attention. And it was kind of at the point where uh, God make a decision, keep my family or keep that time I was a truck driver, driving out back to California every week. And it was kind of like, take the truck or you take it, take us. And so God used her to really show me that I had to get my life squared away and do what he wanted me to do. So in May of 1985, I surrendered to got back in church in August of 84. I recommitted my life to the Lord and decided I'm, I'm through with the world and going to serve you. And in May of 85, God called that, made that call fresh again in my life. And so I, I accepted the call. And again, if I didn't go to college, I was in school. I was a mechanic when I came out of school, long stories with that stuff. So I started going back to school. I worked on my associate degree first, got a bachelor's degree that went to Fruitland Baptist Bible College now, and uh, then went to Liberty University and did my bachelor's, and then did a master's degree in North Carolina Graduate School. And so I began pastoring in 1987, October of 1987, my first church up there off Highway 11, Saluda Hill Baptist Church. Was there from 87 to 91. Went to West Greenville Baptist Church as pastor in March of 91. Stayed there until March of 97. And then came 1997, came to Marietta First Baptist Church and stayed there a little over 20 years. Wow. As pastor there. 
And during that time, I was, uh, I would say, in, the, in 2000. In 2000, I started as a volunteer chaplain with the Graham County Sheriff's Office. Uh, Sheriff Johnny Mac Brown was just going out you know, as sheriff, retiring. And came in, Sam Sammons was sworn in. I was December of 2000 and uh, January of 2001. Sam Sammons became sheriff. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, he died about a year and a half later of a heart attack. But we had to work with the sheriff's office as a volunteer chaplain. And Sheriff Sammons wanted us to become reserve deputies. Because we wore a uniform like this, but we didn't have a gun. We were riding with deputies. <laughs> so I became a reserve deputy in fall of 2001. And did that for 17 years. And uh, was at Marietta, a church I loved dearly, still do. And and I think they loved us. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people say, you know, why did you leave? They loved you and you loved them. I said, that's, that's the best time to leave. You don't want to wait until they don't like you to leave. And so, But I knew God was calling me. There's something different. Yes. Long story, they won't take time to go through that. Things I wanted to do, because I love missions. Done missions all around the world. And I thought, that's what I do. Well, God's like, no. And I'm like, well, maybe I need to be a director of missions. I love pastors. I love missions. And so, again, it's like God shutting all the doors, you know. And I'm like, okay, God, I'll quit trying to tell you what I want to do. You tell me what you want to do. And so I was trying to, at that point, just be still and know that he's God and he's going to speak. And so then about two weeks later, the sheriff at that time said, I want you to come on full time as chaplain and as deputy. And so I did. Well, that was in, uh, July of 2017, uh, thought I could stay a reserve deputy. At that time, I was 59. I'll be 65 at the end of this month. I was 59 years old. I was already an old man and found out once I was full-time, I found out that I couldn't stay a reserve deputy. And so I either had to give up my gun and just be a chaplain or go back to South Carolina Criminal Justice Academy 12 weeks oh, and get my Class 1 certification. And so I, I didn't have enough sense to know that that was probably too hard for me to do. So I just did it, and I did it. I, I always say, by the grace of God, my ibuprofen, I made it. So <laughs> that physical part was tough. Well, I was 59. Yeah. yeah. And so I've been there since uh, July uh, July 3rd, 2017. Wow. That's so awesome. I've been full-time sheriff's office. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, just to talk a little bit about your time with and, and the growth you saw there, 20 years, mm -hmm. right? that, that, that's, that's awesome, a long time. Talk about how you saw the church grow and just the people grow there. Yeah, it was amazing. It was, it was one of those, you know, my, I, I look back now, my first church, I didn't know anything. Yeah, I was new, <laughs> I was young, I was, I guess I was 20, what would that be, 29, I guess, when I started pastoring there. And they gave me an opportunity. I'll never, I'll never be. Uh, forgetful of them that they gave somebody who never pastored before, never held a staff position before. They gave me the opportunity to pastor. And so I, I had a learning curve. And so uh, then I went to West Greenville uh, Baptist Church. I was there for six, uh, six years. And it was a tough neighborhood. And I learned a lot there. And it, but looking back now, I know that prepared me for Marietta. Hmm. And so I'll never forget when uh, the Sunday that Marietta sent pulpit committed to West Greenville, uh, I knew somebody was probably going to be there because during the week, somebody comes and said, hey, we're just checking to see if you're preaching Sunday morning. Well, that's a yeah. clue, you know. <laughs> so I look out, and there's like seven people on the left side and seven people on the right side. I thought, wow, that's the biggest pulpit committee I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and what I didn't know, there were two churches there, and they didn't know each other was there. And, and so 
the, the other church, uh, contact me right after service and we want to talk to you. I went, well, yeah, I said something about the big comedian. They're like, well, there's only seven of us. Went, oh, okay. And so then Marietta contacted me like two hours later and said, we'd like to talk to you. I'm like, okay, well, I thought y'all were one comedian. There's another church. I've already told them I talked to them. And they're like, well, we believe you're a man. You know, that kind of thing. And so I said, well, I've already told you. So I, I don't deal with two churches at a time. So I went, I met with the other church, talked with them, and immediately knew this was not where God wanted me. So I called Marietta, the chairman, uh, Bob Mays was chairman of the pulpit committee, yeah. called me and said, I'll meet with you. And so I did, and I immediately knew. It was like, it, it, it's one of those things, people say, does God speak to you verbally? And I'm like, no, it's louder than that. You yeah. know? Yeah. And it was just a, a confirmation in my Lord. And so we met a couple times, and then we met at the church, and they want my wife to come with me. And so we're pulling in the parking lot. And as soon as I pulled in the parking lot, like the Lord spoke to my heart and said, you're home, and, and you're going to be here for a while. And so I went to my wife, I'm like, we're going, we're, this is where we're going, and we're going to be here a while. She's like, well, how do you know that? And I'm like, well, I'm just telling everybody. And so, you know, God confirmed that through the years. So it did begin. It was just a good fit. Uh, I, I don't have to describe it. It's, it was just like, it was just like, Coming home. I mean, it's like you, you right. it should have been away and just coming. There was just such a fit there. And I love, they still do love them. And they, and they just loved us. And they love Bible preaching. And that's, that's, that's what I'm about. I'm like the old country preacher. He said, I'm, I'm too dumb to preach anything else besides the Bible, but I'm too smart to preach anything besides the Bible. Yeah. Is there? And so I just preached to them and challenged them. I don't, I don't remember who, you know, I hear a lot of things in my past. I don't remember who said it. Somebody said that wasn't me. Uh, said the church is not overworked; they're under challenged. Mm. And so that's always been my ministry style: is challenge the people to do what God calls to do. And so they they learn to love me. They learn to trust me. You know, I tell these younger preachers now: you, you need to be their pastor five years before you ever expect any trust that you can just you know get there, love them, and preach to them, be their pastor. And I think that was about the five-year mark when I realized, and I think they realized they could trust me, and I knew they would follow me. Yeah. And so God spoke to my heart, and, and I just say, hey, this is what we need to do. And they say, okay. I'll never forget. Uh, well, it was 1999, so I'd only been there a couple of years. So I it started a little but I went in 97. In 1999, so I'd only been there two years. Yeah. Uh, we had a Hispanic ministry. They'd had a micro, they called it the migrant ministry for years. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Batson, I thought you know Jimmy. Oh, yes. Yep. Uh, he and I began to talk, and, and God spoke to both of our hearts. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the migrant ministry was exploding at that time. All the forums were working up here. And I was like, we need more than a migrant ministry. We need a church, Hispanic church. And there's a whole long story, and I could tell you just miracle after miracle that God did to provide that church. Uh, but so I went to the deacons and I said, Hey, uh, this is what God's telling us to do. We need to start this Hispanic church. I never forget, I said to them, I don't know if it'll cost $10 or two, and back then, $100,000. Like, that's not much money anymore. Right. I said, I don't know if it'll cost $10 or $100,000, but God wants us to do it. And I'll never forget Tony, Tommy Hester. He's in heaven now. He was a deacon at that time. And I looked over and tears were dripping off his face. And the deacon away. And I went, 
So I'm thinking, you know, me, I'm thinking something's going on in his life or whatever. And I'm like, but Tommy, are you okay? And, and this, I literally feel what he says. This is the most exciting thing I've ever heard in a Dickens play. Wow. I'm like, wow. And I looked and everybody's like, let's do it. And I'm like, so I don't want you to, doesn't matter what's going to cost. Mm -hmm. And so I said to the chairman, I said, would they present this? He said, no, you need to present this. That's God spoke to you. So you present this to the church. And we did it unanimously voted wow. to, to whatever it took. And I, and I think because of that, it was a weird week. We, we had two buildings that we tried to tear down, try to get fire department burning down. They wouldn't because there was asbestos in it. Try to get people to move on. And somebody, yes, we want them. And, and then it would fall through. Yeah. I'm like, there's the two buildings we need to remodel. We remodeled those. And God just did miracle. I, I'll just brag on one of the local churches. Uh, during that time, I was up there and I did a lot of the work. I loved to work with my hands. My dad taught me how to do a little bit of, I'm one of those jack of all trade, master of many. Yes. And so I did a lot of the work, and I worked by myself up there a lot, and I, I, I kind of liked that. Oh, yeah. You know, nobody was able to help. I'd do work myself because I talked to the Lord. Right. And I was praying. We are getting close to having, we had a, we had a little sanctuary in one building, have a uh, duplex. That's, we had Sunday school classes on one side, and we were building an apartment for a pastor on the other side. And I was working in there, and I'd been putting furniture in. And I needed a, a stackable washer and dryer to have in that little apartment. I already priced one. And I don't remember the exact dollar. Now it was like $938 or something. And so I'm just praying more. Just, you know, would you provide money for this washer and dryer? And I'll never forget it. There was a knock on the door. And I, 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 was, I don't remember what I was doing. I went to the front door. And this lady was standing there. I didn't know. And obviously, I couldn't recall her name right now. And she said, I'm Mr. So-and-so. And I'm from Gap Creek Baptist Church. And she said, we had vacation Bible school this week, and we knew what you're doing here. So we took up our offering this week. We took that one and gave it to you. And it was, like I said, I don't remember the exact dollar. It was $938. Exactly what I needed for that washer and dryer wow. was the exact amount. I was just like, oh. you know, yeah. And so things like that started happening because we were just trusting God. And, and the people had faith. They had faith in God ultimately. They had faith in me as their pastor. And I promised them, I'll always try to tell you what God's telling us to do. If I mess up, I'll tell you, I've messed up. Let's back up. You know, let's don't do it. But I said, I'm going to keep my nose in the book and yeah. the Bible. And I'm going to keep my, my communication line with God through prayer. And when he speaks, I'm going to tell you what he says. And so they just trust me. I, I, and maybe it's because I was so involved with that. Uh, but I, I just never seen a situation as good as what it was there. It was just, uh, you know, it didn't mean that everybody always agreed on everything, but if God told us to do it, we just do it. And so I saw that for 20 years. Well, that, that draws people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and evangelism was at the heart of everything we did and missions. Uh, you know, I mean, I can tell you so many stories. I'll just give you one mission story. We did mission work for 10 years in Romania. Wow. Over a 10 year period, we went to take teams to Romania. That's awesome. And we'd always raise the money yep. to, for the people to go. It, it never cost them a dime to go. Mm -hmm. And we raised money. We'd buy properties over there. I, I love to buy beer joints and liquor stores over there in tournament churches. Yeah. Shut down the alcohol, put a church in there. I could buy, I could buy a nice place for $2,000 out in the country. And so this year, we were running behind Butch Darnell, was a godly man. He's in heaven now. And, uh, 
he was he he'd have go with me. I was like, Butch, are you going? He said, Are you going? I was like, Yeah. He said, If you're going, I'm going. He'd go on every mission trip with him. And we were we didn't have the money. We were like three months out from leaving. And so I said, wait, you know, y'all may have to pay your way this time. We don't have the money. We don't have money to do projects with. And Butch said, I'll never forget it, mate. He said, I think we need to pray back there. We started praying. We had a fair meeting right there. We started praying about that. And, and people don't believe this stuff. I'm telling you, I was there. I saw it happen in three months. We not only paid the way, and it was running, I think about that time, about $1,300 for airline and all the stuff wow. yeah. per person. Wow. I don't remember how many we had, probably around 10 or 12. We, put, we raised enough money in those three months to pay everybody's ways. And we took $55,000 in budget money. It was incredible. Lift your light in church. She said she brought a diamond ring. It was like worth twelve thousand dollars. If God's told me to give this ring, you know, the need things. So I was, you know, I was like, whoa, I don't want to pay you dollar. And so I was like, okay. So we put it up for sale. Her son, who didn't go to the church there, came and bought it from, him so that he could give it back to his mom. You know, so we just saw things like that happen. Really. So it was incredible. People were being saved. Uh, they would be drawn, you know, to revivals and to church services, and and it was just incredible. I, I wish I'd jump up. Do I'm I'm not sure how many got saved. A bunch of people got saved in those twenty years. And the church grew and outreach. You know, we started the storehouse ministry there, and just so much. Uh, and I, I just believe God blessed that and honored that that we were not selfish and not focused on us. The, the family life center. We built that, opened it to the public to start right. with, and everybody's telling, you can't do that, you can't do that. I'm like, well, God told me to. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you got liability. And I'm like, God owns cattle on the hills, and the hills are stand on, you know? So we just did it, and, and God honored that. Uh, I'll never forget a 73-year-old Catholic man got saved because of the Family Life Center ministry. I saw him peeping in. But I, you know, I don't just know. There's so many stories I have <laughs> This one is kind of weird. You just go for it. So there was a time that, that I felt like God just said to me, you, you don't need to wear a suit and tie to preach. You agree? Now, not everybody agreed to that, especially some women. They just put me on Like, you need to wear I'm like, I'm just telling you, this is what God told me to do. I, I don't know what else to say to you. They kept, they can give it a hard time. Like, so I tell you what, at your funeral, I'll wear a suit and tie. <laughs> and so we always had a good laugh about that. They disagreed, good laugh about it. Yeah. yeah. And so the very Sunday that I first time in what well, that time, I don't know how many years I've been preaching, I'd always wore a coat and tie. And I, I swore, I don't know, sports, polo shirt or button up shirt, no tie, no coat. I'll never forget, I was standing in the pulpit. I'd already started preaching. Kevin and I, Kevin was on staff with me at that time, Kevin Hart. We'd been witnessing this guy mm-hmm. in the family last year. He walked every day. Yeah. And I looked, there were little crosses in the door to back him. Oh, in sanctuary. And I could see a face in that, you know, and being in law enforcement, even then, I was like, you know, <laughs> what is going on here? So I kept my eye on and the door opened, and Frank walked in. And I recognized him, and he had on a t shirt, a white, just a white t shirt undershirt, right. a pair of blue jeans. And he sat down in the back. I preached the sermon, gave the invitation, and he came up to out, tears his eyes, and gave his heart to Christ. Wow. And and when he was doing that, he said, he was at Bojangles and T.R. He was eating breakfast. And he said, something told me, which I 
explained to him it was the Holy Spirit saying to him. He said, something made me feel like I needed to come up here. And he's, he said, I felt like it was God speaking. But he said, I said, God, look, I'm in a T-shirt. Blue, that's all I have. And he said, go. And he said, I came. And he said, I peeped in the window. I said, I saw you peeping in. He said, I looked and saw that you wouldn't wear a suit and tie. And I thought, if the preacher's not wearing a coat and tie, I should be okay. Mm-hmm. He said, I came in and sat down. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's when the Spirit of God convicted my heart. Why? And it's just things like that. You know, a lot of churches would run you off for not having to go dial. Right. But Mary, it was like, you know, it's like I say, even the ones who didn't really like that, they said, you know, who are we to say? God's told you, you do what he tells you to do. To this day, I don't wear a coat and tie with a friend. You know, because and somebody said, why don't you do it now? I said, well, he never told me to start wearing one. Right. <laughs> it's hard to wear me a skirt. It's right. a little bit. It's, yeah. It's, 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 yeah. it's rough with the... With the Coat and tie on. Yeah. Uh, so. Not as noble. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So right. I'm just convinced, you know, and I'm way too old now to change. And I'm not going to change. Don't want to change. If God tells me, I'm just going to go. Every Bible I preach out of, I have to fly leaf. When God approves, nothing else matters. Yeah. And that's been my, that's been my focus. Definitely. You know, because it, no, it doesn't matter if you try, you try to please people all the time, you're not going to. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm going to please God. You know, right. Hebrews 11, 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. But he becomes God, must believe that he is, not he was or will be, that he is right now, praise the tense God, that he will reward those who diligently seek him. And so what that tells me, with faith, it is possible to please him. Without faith, it's impossible with faith. So I just want to please God. And so fortunately, when you do that, he, he blesses and he helps you and the peace of God that passes all understanding keeps my heart in my mind. I'm, I'm just not a, I don't worry about stuff. And I, you know, there's stress gifts in it too, but I, I don't keep stress. I'm like, right. I cast all my cares on the Lord. Because right. he cares for me. Definitely. So mm-hmm. one thing I wanted to talk about, uh, we haven't talked on the show before, was um, at Yellow Rope Disaster Relief. Yeah, as well. Mm-hmm. That. Yeah. Talk about some of the experiences there, because that's, that's a Yeah, incredible. Matter of fact, I'll be teaching. I teach classes now from the State Convention. I'll be down in North Charleston next, uh, next week. The week after next. Okay. Uh, teaching some classes down there now. Well, uh, yeah, I think the one that sticks in my mind the most was not a success story. Yeah. Anytime disaster relief comes, and I, I think I've used it. Uh, to help people realize the other results are not up to us. And with disaster relief, now we had changed, that we started out with chainsaw unit mm-hmm. and we, you know, we're a bunch of old bubbles. We love cuts and <laughs> you out. Skid steer, love to run skid steer. And, uh, that's a whole other story. God bless us to have our associates. We have our own skid steer. But we were in New Jersey for Superstorm Sandy. And I don't remember what year that was now. But we went up to New Jersey. And when we got there, White Hat is the guy that's in charge of the disaster relief, uh, whole, the whole gathering. And he just got there, and there had been no assessors there. And he's like, Benny, you know, could y'all just go out and find your own job? I'm like, yeah, I, I actually prefer that. I wish get out and start riding where the storm is bad and right. stop and talk to people. Hey, we're, we're Southern Baptists. We're here to help you for free. They, they really find that hard to believe, you know, that we don't charge them. Well, we found this guy that uh, his yard was a mess. And uh, we had about, I don't know, seven, eight of us were there that year. And so we're told, we, we're, he had emphysema, 
I forget all the health issues that, that he had. Bill, Bill was his name. I forgot his last name. Now, Bill, I never forget Bill. One of the kindest men you'd ever meet. And so we'd cut trains and we'd talk to Bill. You know, he was one of these guys, he'd, he'd have coffee and donuts and, you know, pastries and breakfast and that kind of stuff. And we were there about three days, maybe. And and so we started witnessing the bill, because that's the whole goal. To say, yeah, if we cut trees, we clean up mud, whatever, but we, we share the gospel. And uh, in that area, they, most of them didn't even know who Southern Baptists were. You know, there, there's no Southern Baptist church in my saying. Bill could not believe the gospel. He kept saying, no, I would have to go to hell and pay for my sins before I could be saved. Hmm. We're like, no, Bill, that's not how it works. Right. And everybody on the team, so I told the team that first night, I think maybe I talked to him the first day. I said, listen, we all go out to witness to Bill. And so we kept witnessing him. The whole time we were with him, we'd be cutting trees. Somebody would be over there witnessing the Bill. And we tried our best to win him to Christ. And when we, when we left with tears in our eyes, we left him not knowing the Lord. Because he just could not believe that he could get saved and, and Jesus would forgive all of his sin. He felt like he had to pay Somehow, he, he kept saying, you know, I have to be with Lucifer. He, he used the word Lucifer. I got to go spend time with Lucifer and pay for my sin before I can be saved. Mm-hmm. And we could not convince him otherwise. So we left there with a heavy heart. And and, and we were all heavy heart, and I had to encourage the guys. Like, they're like, why, why would I? I'm like, did we not do it right? I'm like, listen, God called us to share the gospel. Right. And, the, and it's up to him. If, if the people reject the gospel, there's nothing we can do. And so we learned how to deal with the rejection of the gospel there. And broke our hearts a, a month later. Uh, there was a, I, I think it was a Catholic church that uh, sent us a note and said, hey, Bill died and his wife gave a donation in y'all's honor for the work you did at their home. Wow. Uh, Bill's death. And so, so, you know, that was not a, in our mind, a success story. But, you know, I told the guys, Bill can never stand before the Lord so I didn't hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the Lord put seven or eight of us put in his life. And that's, you know, that's what, those are not the times that we rejoice, you know. But I, I try to encourage people, make sure you know God's just called you to be faithful. Right. And share the gospel. Right. But, you know, there's a lot of others, like the rest of our community, that and, and many other trips we make. It's been an incredible journey to see going to people having one of the worst days of their lives mm-hmm. and being provided assistance them for free and share the gospel. And we didn't see people come to Christ. Right. Right. But I'll never forget any time of disaster relief, bail comes to my mind. Yeah. And, you know, we just we have to do what we can do. Yeah. Right. The results, God does not demand that we make results. Right. He demands that we share the gospel. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, it's really good. Um, and, kind of, you know, now kind of transitioning to what you do now mm-hmm. as, as a chaplain. For people yeah. that don't know, um, what what do you what is your job as as a, as a um, your full time as a deputy? That's right, and also uh, out there in the chapel role as well. Is that correct? That's right. So, what is your role? Sure. Into? So, my my main position is I'm lead chaplain now, and I uh, I brought on Sheriff Hobart Lewis. All right, uh, he's been our sheriff now a few years, yeah. and when he came on, so I, I came. I was under say one two. So he's my third chair since I became full-time. And so I've told each one as we moved on, when Sheriff Hobart Lewis became sheriff, 
I told him, this is what I was hired to do. This is kind of what he's like, charge ahead. You know, you keep doing what you need to do. And so, I know, before I tell you what I do now, so a few, I don't know, months, maybe six or eight months elapsed. And there was another Christian who was a deputy who really, he's like, hey, I'd love to help out with you. He's had about his time off. And so finally, the sheriff found out about it. He's like, hey, you pull them anytime he's working. If you need him, you pull him. And so last year, I lost track of my mic, but maybe about summer of last year, uh, he gave this deputy to me full time. So wow. and now Austin Fowler is my assistant chaplain, works under me full time. Wow. And so now I, have, now I have five volunteer chaplains who are pastors and student pastors in the local area, and they assist us with volunteer staffs. So, so the chaplaincy, so I'm, I'm full-time chaplain first. So whatever's going on, we have about 600 and probably now 675 employees in the Brown County Sheriff's Office, 535 maybe sworn, (laughs) over a hundred civilians. And so I kind of oversee and try to help take care of them. So yeah, I told my congregation grew when I went there. And uh, so we do that first and, you know, it's kind of like pastoring. You know, we're sick. I check home in the hospital. We pray for them. Uh, we do. Austin and I rotate it every week. We send out a devotional email and we have a prayer list that we send out every week that everybody can keep up with each other and pray for one another. Uh, and then in those hard times, you know, they're there. But someone said, you know, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't, uh, don't want to, we need to know you before we need you. Yeah. And so, so what I do on the deputy side, as I answer 911 calls, uh, I'll take the call for them if they're busy, or I'll back them up on the call. And uh, so that's how we get out there with them. Also, now both work the road, but we're not doing chaplain work. We're out here on the road. I normally work the west side of Greenville. Officer works east and south, rotates between that. So we, that's how we get to know the deputies, and that's how they get to know that they can trust us and come to us. And so we do that. <laughs> we go. Uh, so we do individual counseling. We do marriage counseling with them. We, we counsel their children. Uh, whatever the deputies and employees need, that we're there for them to support them, to encourage them. And then another thing, so I'm over what's called peer support. Uh, so critical incidents that we have could be anything from an officer involved shooting to a baby death. Mm-hmm. Those baby deaths are the heart. Mm-hmm. I had one a few years ago. It got me. I mean, it really, it just kind of got me, my mind, you know, kept rolling some of the things I saw trying to, I was first one on the scene. Oh, real. Well, two-year-old shot itself in the head. Went through his eye, collapsed his head. Oh, I'm trying to do CPR and trying to stop bleeding and, and all this. And it, it was just, it was too gross to even talk about it, really. Yeah. But some things that, that were on the scene that I saw that day, so, and so I had to go to We Air Force Lane a few years ago. I was doing some training in North Carolina and found out about how this company has embedded mental health clinicians. So responder services out of Asheville now, a few years ago. Talked to Major Ty Miller. She's over our wellness program. She taught the sheriff, and they all agreed we needed a mental health clinician. Mm-hmm. So now we have an embedded mental health clinician. We have two of them. That uh, all of us can go to and talk. I went after that instant. I actually went. They didn't even have an office yet, so you, they were using my office. And I never forget what in. Rick was the counselor at that time. And uh, he was going to sit in front of me, like, no, you sit behind the desk today. You know, that's my desk, but I need you. And he really helped me. And so, uh, Sheriff Lewis and, and Major Miller, they're all about 
the wellness of the deputies. And so with peer support, so I help uh, as chaplain and for counselor, if I need to refer someone on to our, our mental health clinician, oh, have you ever heard of EMDR? Mm-hmm. It's eye movement, desensitization, and redirection. Wow. So EMDR is <laughs> right. Yeah. It's only if you're familiar with REM sleep, when you're in REM sleep, okay. when you're dreaming, your eyes are moving. And, and God use that, uses that eye movement. Uh, you know, people say, why do I have these crazy drugs? One of the best classes I ever had in college was psychology right. and uh, Christian at Liberty University. And, and we learned about how the brain is like a computer. You, know, you can only hold so much information. Right? You need to defrag it or clean it up, the hard drive. Or, <laughs> and he said, that's the way God works in your brain. And so dreams, that's why you have this dream where, you know, something. You know, I mean, when I was very young, I had this dream because I was a truck driver back in the day. And this one of the elderly ladies, like 85-year-old, I dreamed I was, and she was my assistant truck driver. And we, we were running California and all these crazy things. You're like, you wake up and you're like, where did all that come from? <laughs> well, that's God's way. In REM sleep, your eyes are moving. And that's how your brain kind of moves some stuff out of the way that you don't need to, well, to, you know, hold. Right. So EMDR and our mental health clinicians licensed that. You have to be licensed. You have to have a at least a master's in counseling, be licensed to do that. It's not hypnosis, but it's movement. You get the move your eyes and talk through the situation. Well, and it helps you process that critical instinct, you know, uh, because your brains are, you know, so a strange bird up there. Mm-hmm. Because it's funny, you know, you'd have transplants from the neck down, but you can't have a brain transplant. It's almost like God has a way to help straighten that brain out. We just need to learn how to do that. EMDR is one of the ways we do that because with these critical incidents, that incident gets stuck in your brain. That's why you get stressed. That's why you get PTSD. And so EMDR helps move that. Yes, it where you process it, you don't forget it. But right. if you're able to, I always like it to a shelf with boxes. And what happens when you get a box off and you get stuck, the box is sitting out here and not putting on the shelf. And EMDR helps you get that box and put it back on the shelf. You pull it out and think about it when you need to, but you can put it back on the shelf and move on your life. Sure. So we, we help refer to our mental health clinician if we see they need something like that or further counseling, more in-depth counseling. And then we have a peer team. My goal right now, I'm over the peer team as well with the sheriff's office. My goal is have at least one peer team member in every, we have, a lot, we have platoons, we have divisions, we have teams. So in every t- team, division, platoon, whatever its case might be, have at least one peer team member. That's not dysfunctional when a critical incident happens, but on a day-by-day basis, I tell them, you're your brother's keeper. Yes, we are brother's keeper. And so, you know, if you and I work together every day, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I know how you act. You know, it used to say, well, then I say something a little off. I'll be like, hey, you know, wait a minute. Right. Are you okay? Yeah. Well, and we don't use that term. Most people say, okay. Well, we ask, how are you holding up? Well, then you have to give me an answer. If I say, are you okay? You're like, yes. Well, they're lying. You know? I think. So we, the question we ask is, you know, how do you hold it up? Well, then you got to talk to me. And so that's what we're doing with fear team. So I'm just so glad Sheriff Lewis is so good to me. He, he allows me to set my own schedule, work where I want to work, because he trusts me to be where I need to be. Yeah. And so yeah. I do a lot of speaking on different, you know, go to senior adult groups and churches, be glad. To do that, you spoke at Maria First Baptist uh, Senior Group about safety and scams. Mm-hmm. So, so I do a lot of different things. I wear many hats in the sheriff's office, and, and 
I'm kind of a grandfather to a lot of these younger kids that are in law enforcement. So I love it. I love it. Awesome. And, you know, for a lot of police officers, um, we don't see it because, you know, civilians don't see it, but they're dealing with a lot of really difficult, worst part of the percent of the population. Talk about some of the struggles they might have to go through. You know, we can help better understand. Yes. The biggest thing people need to understand, a lot of the stress comes from the fact that we only have a few seconds to make a decision. Yeah. You know, I, and I don't know what a percentage is. You know, I'm not good on percentages. But a lot of our calls, you have to make a, a decision within five to 10 seconds, especially when it's a critical answer, when there's all three blocks you there. You know, if somebody's charges to you with a knife, yeah. you can't say, well, you know what? Hang on, let me think about this. That's not a good thing. Yeah. You know, uh, most people don't know this. If a suspect has a knife and they're charging you, uh, they're like, well, why, why didn't you try something that? Why did you shoot them out here? I'm 30 foot, 30 feet, 30 feet. If they're 30 feet away, by the time you can draw your weapon and discharge it, they have already stabbed. You don't do it 30 feet away. That's when you have to start reacting. Uh, action is quicker than reaction. People don't understand that. We, we have, we, we kind of, COVID kind of shut it down, and we had our training center. We had to rebuild a new training center. So it's not back up and running, but we're going to. Uh, we have these civilian academies where we actually have some additions, guns, which is a, it's a, it looks just like a regular gun, but it shoots a, a bullet that, that does sting. It's so about like that. But we run them through scenarios, and, and the very thing they said they would never do, they'll do it in that scenario because they're so split second in the season. Wow. So everybody needs to realize. You know, this Monday morning quarterbacking of what law important. And, and listen, I'll be the first to say there are a lot of incidents that they did the wrong thing. Yeah, those are cutting. Those are, we can look at those and say, so maybe, yeah, yeah, that, that was, he should not have done that. And they should go to jail for one thing. But there are a lot of these situations. You see a little snippet of a video clip. You don't see this video of all this that's led up right. to this. In one angle. Yeah. So I think the best thing I would say to people is, you know, don't jump to conclusions. Right. Uh, because what you see may not be the whole story. You know, it's like the Bible. You know, if you start, you pull a verse out of the Bible, put a few of them together, and you, you know, you make it say, I remember one preacher one time, he said, you know, how foolish it is pulling verses out of the Bible. It said, the Bible says Judas hung himself. And Jesus, Bible says, go and do likewise. <laughs> you know, yeah. So the same thing, if you pull it out little snippets of a call. Right. So, you know, don't jump conclusions about that because the the vast majority of law enforcement, they're not doing it for pay. You, you know, I, we have we have deputies who are, have had good paying jobs and they take $20,000, $30,000 pay cuts to come do this because they love their community, want to help people, want to turn prime Grand County. And so they're not doing it for the money. And, and, and the vast majority are not doing it for a power issue. Uh, they're doing it because they love people and help their community. Right. And so, you know, to understand the stress of, you know, we, I think in December, we run January, December with our call volume. I think in December, at the end of December 22, somewhere in the neighborhood of 268,000 911 calls in Green Cap. Wow. And when you think about that volume, uh, you know, because we're, we're on calls, you know, these, our radios, you know, most of us wear a lapel mic. So you're talking to somebody, you're listening because your partner down the road may be in trouble. 
And so you're listening and you're hearing all these calls that are holding. And, you know, you might have a, you're trying to get this call finished so you get to another call that's more severe. And and so there's just a lot of stress on that. And, you know, you become addicted at 21 years old. And, you know, at 21 years old, that's a lot of stress so on the young person like that. Right. And so they're out here trying to, to figure out call, most calls. You, you're going to be a counselor. Amen. You know, you're going to have to interpret the law for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to have to calm people down. You're going to have to arrest some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got, some of them got to fight people uh, at the very best. I, I remember uh, three, four years ago, I was out with a drunk, and I was trying to, my goal was to get him home. You know, he couldn't be, you know, public drunkenness is against the law. He was causing problems in the neighborhood, trying to get him home. And I thought I had that accomplished. Next thing I know was he starts fighting. You know, I'm by myself, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, we're on the ground, and, and I, I had one handcuff on him, and I was trying to get the other one on him, and uh, I saw in my peripheral, I saw a guy come in, and I thought, I hope he's on my side, and he was. <laughs> I was over in Dunning community, and he came to help me get him in cuffs, and, and so, you know, I'm just like, you know, I tried to help you, man, you know, yeah. now you're going to jail, and uh, so it's that, we deal with that kind of stuff every day. People do, you know, they're going to search us out. And we have to take it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. If you're out here in the public, I'm lucky to realize it's called PDC, public disorderly conduct. And Grove County, if you're if you're cursing in public, and there's people who can hear you cursing, uh, the public can hear you, then you can go to jail for that charge. Good. But yeah, people can curse us and we can't do it how about it. We have to take it. And so, you know, people are cussing us out and you know, tell us how wrong we are. And so that's stress. It builds up like layers of an onion. And that's why they need peer support. That's why they need mental health clinicians. Because all this stuff, uh, and then they try to go home and act like they had a great day, you know. Yeah. So just understand. Yeah. And people say, what can we do for them? I said, well, thank them. You know, yes. you know that, that means a lot. And, and I'm telling you, Greg McCann, we're above the national level of thankfulness for law enforcement. We, we're blessed. You know, we really are. Right. And so... People, are, they'll do that. You know, people will get up to pay for our food, and they're like, somebody's paid for it. I'm like, yeah, I just put some smile on your face. You know, they know that people care. So just try to support us and pray for us. Lord, we need your prayers uh, and, and help us to, to be able to do our jobs without having to be concerned about the public, uh, you know, how the public looks at us. Um, we're, we're trying to help the community. And you have chaos without law enforcement. You're right. Right. So just realize that and a lot of these people don't like the law enforcement. <laughs> when they need them, they kind of like them then. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a tough thing. But, uh, yeah, prayer, we need all the prayers we get. And uh, pray to Sheriff Lewis. He leads us. Uh, and he'll make wise decisions as he helps us. Definitely. Um, it's so much, uh, you know, without getting into it too heavily, so much of the political sentiment ladies is anti-police. Yeah. Um, so I imagine, especially from, you know, the community, and seeing people that support out or think of it Absolutely. and are respectful to them yes. when they're dealing with law right. enforcement, um, even if they're in trouble. Right. 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 Respectfully is, is a big, right. big thing, very helpful, yeah. I imagine, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I tell you, and this, you know, this does not excuse when a law enforcement officer makes wrong suit. I'm not saying right. that this is a catch-all for everything. But if you comply with what we ask you to do, you, we're stopping at that level. When you, you know, there's levels of force that we're trained in, 
and that's the levels of four. We we stay one behind. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize that. They think when you when you're not doing the right things when you're one above, we can't do that. So we're one level of force behind people. When they raise a level, then we come up a level. And so it goes up. And so what happens is if you'll just do what we people say, well, I you know, I wouldn't do anything wrong. Well, then just calm down that we can work through that. Right. And you know, even even if you and could somebody else go to jail? Yes. We've seen that happen, you know. But, you know, I tell everybody, look, this is not the end of the world. You know, you'll have your day in court, and the the, the more, the worse you make this situation, the worse the consequences are. Uh, you know, just even pulling people over for speeding or expired tags or running stop signs or red lights, you know, they, they start. I'm like, okay, let's calm down and realize attitude has a whole lot to do with what's going to happen here. Yeah, and so if you just calmly talk to us, uh, then we're going to calmly talk to you. But as you move up, we come up with you. And so, you know, th- this thing of just do what they ask you to do, and, and many times that would make this thing go away a lot quicker. You know? yeah, just, because your re- the person, the public's reaction to us being there makes suspicion rise when you're when you're not saying, for me, you know, it, before I was in law enforcement, you know, if you've been a policeman, they'd talk to me and be like, sure. You know, I have nothing to hide. I'm not doing anything wrong. So, right. sure, I'll talk to you. Whatever. I would have no problem in, unless I know Fourth Amendment's a big thing. I get that. Even today, if I was in another state, police officer, if I search you, I'd be like, hell, man, I don't have anything there. Right, right. And so, but, you know, everybody gets freaking out about this stuff. And I was like, just comply with what they say. And then things don't turn out as bad. Yes. Uh, and again, I'm not saying that some of these things that happened that that would have been the answer for everything. But I'm just saying 99% of the time, your reaction to being in the presence of law enforcement will dictate how things go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I hope people can see, you know, one, one thing I deal with, if I ever have to walk in, parents are bad to say to their kids, he's here to lock you up. I'm like, no, I'm not, but you might go, you know. Don't tell your kid that I'm here to lock them up because then they're afraid of us. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you raise them so that they're afraid of us. So when we say, hey, you know, come here, Wilson, and you take off running, yeah. legitimately, a lot of them are afraid of us because their parents have told them, we're the bad guy. We're going to take them to jail. Well, that's not what we're out. We're out to encourage. I, you know, I try, I carry stuffed animals and toys. And if I see a kid kind of shrieking, around, I'm like, you might forget what toy. And if you get what toy, the kid's like, wow, look it up. Right. So, that's a big thing for people to know. Teach your kids and your grandkids that we're not the bad guy. We're here to help them. They can run to us very neat. Definitely. Uh, so, yeah, that's a big thing now. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah and as a pastor <clears throat> and as a chaplain, you've dealt with, with people when, when they're struggling and sometimes sure. they're at their lowest point, uh, whether it be through just through conversation or, or, or places you point in scripture. How do you help people, you know, when they're going through very difficult times? Yeah. You know, the biggest thing, when people are going through difficult times, the, the biggest problem they have is they lose hope. Good. You know, um, we had a situation not long back. God, I, I, there's nothing left for me to live for. I'm like, oh, yes, there he is. Right. He lost hope. And so I'm trying to build the hope. It's, it's kind of amazing, you know, all this separation of church and state. You know, my badge has cross in it. I wear a cross. Right. And so that opened a lot of doors. People are like, why does your badge have a cross on it? Well, that opens the door. They talk to them about why I wear a cross. Mm-hmm. What a chaplain. A lot of them don't even know what a chaplain is. 
And uh, so I try to, the door opens quickly mm-hmm. for me to share the hope they have in Christ. And so when people are going through a hard time, a lot of them have lost hope. I mean, maybe they're mad at God. And and it's amazing. I'm saying, it's okay to be mad at God. And they're like, really? Yeah. Like, yeah. You've got to be. He handled it. You ready? Well, like, you know, you're you're not going to make God cease to be God because you're mad at it. Yeah. I'm like, we get mad at Him because we don't like we perceive that what we're going through is His fault. Right. I'll forget someone said, you know, I, I remember what people say. I don't remember who say it, but someone said years ago, don't look at this world and judge the fairness of God. Yes. And so I, I talked to him about that. Look, you know, is this best? Yes. And then, of course, Romans 28, I use that a lot. You know, the Bible says that he works everything together for good. This is not good. Uh, but he, he's going to work this together for good in your life, and you can have hope right. that you have a future. And uh, so, you know, a lot of things we deal with are self-inflicted problems. Mm-hmm. And you have to be gentle with people. Uh, you know, make some bad choices today. And that's why you watch so. And, you know, so one of my goals, and, and this happened, uh, I have prayed for people on the way to jail. You know, they've been in the back seat and be like, Jeff, would you pray for them? And I said, sure. But they were still taking you to jail. But I'll pray for him. I'll just pray for them. I prayed for them. And while we're going down the road, I tell them, close your eyes and we'll keep mine open while we drive. Or pray for them, get them to detention. And, and you know, they're at the jailhouse religions. That's a real thing. But I honestly see some people who finally get up. A little understanding, come around and talk to them, and help them to restore hope. And even people who, you know, have blogged like now, I want other religious stuff. Mm-hmm. That's okay, I understand that. But you know, that's where my hope is, and I'm telling you, we hope. But sometimes you, they, they're they're closed on that. Mm-hmm. And so we just, I talk to them about their families and their friends. Yeah, people we had a lot of suicide attempts. Yeah, there's it's a daily thing for us to Three, four calls. At least in the field or thoughts of suicide. Unfortunately, a lot of them, you know, they complete suicide. Yeah. But a lot of times we talk to people who have survived uh, suicide who tried to kill themselves and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And, and about every one of them will say they thought it would be better for their family and friends if they were not here. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've talked to people who are thinking about suicide. Like, I know how you feel. You're thinking it's going to be better for your family and friends. Like, yeah, that's not true. They'll tell you that's not true. You're you're going to complicate their lives. Yeah, and so you can even build hope, and that's what I try to do. Because a chaplain, you can't force yourself on them. You know, right? And you can't force you know, faith in Christ on them. And so there's times you have to kind of go outside, and it's really the 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 hope we have in, in the gospel. You know, is is transferred out, so you can have hope, faith in in your family, friends. You have people here to support you. And then hopefully once I get them in a more stadium, say, now let's go back and talk about this again. Right. So, but, but hope, you know, love, so that's where you have to build, giving them hope in this world again. And, and to know that it's not going to always be this way. You know, even, even if they're going to jail, you know, hey, this should be a good wake up call. What's going to do when you get out of jail? So we, we get a lot of conversations with that. So. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good. One last thing, because I know. I know this 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 may be uh, important to say because um, I know a lot of people my age uh, watch a lot of uh, watch a lot of cop shows. Sure, um, you know, uh, can you talk? I, I imagine there's a lot of inaccuracy oh, in, in cop shows. Um, what are some things that 
you know, maybe maybe this shows you wrong that we need to understand that that's not how it actually goes down. Right, right. Yeah, and I, you know, I, my wife, because I watch her too. Right. My wife's like, I wish you wouldn't even watch it. He's like, no, I said, like, that's not right. That's not true. <laughs> yeah. You know, the one that gets me the most is, is tasers. On TV, if they tase you, you go unconscious, you lay there, you know, for 30 minutes. A taser will not render you unconscious, you know. Right. And so people, they see sit down on TV so much. Uh, you know, taser has a, a, a little laser beam, put a dot on there, on you. And people think, they're like, he's tasering. Like, no, you're not being tased. And so, you know, tasers do not knock you out. And and then this idea of, you know, they just go kick your door in and go in with no warrant, you know. Uh, there, there's laws that we have, mm-hmm. you know, that if we're going into a house, well, there's, there's ex- exigent circumstances called, uh, you know, if a suspect we're chasing runs into a house, we have a right to follow that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's not going to come kick your door down for no reason. Uh, and you know, all the things they do, you know, I, one of my pet peeves, I see on all these cop shows, you know, they'll be standing from, you know, a hundred yards away, FBI. You know, then they take off running. I'm like, you don't yell FBI or sheriff's office 100 yards away. You right. know, so uh, it's not always a foot chase. You know, on, on the show, there's always foot chase, always a car chase. But in reality, you know, I here again, I'm not big overseas, but I would say most of the time, so more than, than half the time, uh, most people are very compliant. You know, Turn around, put your hand behind your back, you're under arrest. Turn around, put your hand behind your back. And so it's not always a fight. You know, right. TV, they're always fighting everybody. They're chasing a record car. Sure. Does that happen? Sure. But, you know, the the the, uh, the spectacular, you know, takedowns and jumping off sets at four buildings and, you know, and catching the bag up, you know, that's TV. Right. You know. right. But, you know, in reality, you know, much sure. And I think that's really a... The downside of that is uh, you can get in a routine and everybody's just complying, and, but we have to keep our guard up because then that one it down can mm-hmm. continue. Yeah. yeah. So, and you know, the, this idea of, of watching, you know, people like, well, I, I saw this show, and you know, now the reality TV shows the place. And those are more real, real to the yeah. public because they are, they are live, you know, that type of thing. But, um, so, yeah, there's a lot on TV that's, that's like, you know, right. that you just kind of need to let that know that's, that's Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But I really appreciate it. This has been, this has been great. Is there anything else you, you want to mention for you? No, thank you. Uh, you know, I watched you grow up and, uh, you know, I always appreciate your dad being good friends with him and, and, and I appreciate what you're doing. I was excited to hear what you're doing, Davis, and uh, that, that thrills my soul. But, uh, you're doing something to reach out because, you know, we all need to be reaching out trying to help people. That's what I think you're doing with this. And, uh, you know, just pray for the sheriff's office, all of our law enforcement. You know, I work with sheriff's office. There are many other law enforcement agencies. And prayed for Christians. We need more Christians being involved. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people are like, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I wouldn't want to be involved. Well, we need you in law enforcement. Uh, because uh, the hope of the gospel, that's what the whole world is here. And you have Lots of our team to share that. So, you know, we're hiring. <laughs> we always have uh, um, slots. I think we've got about 20 openings right now in Greenville County Sheriff's Office. GCSO.org. Go on there and put in an application. Uh, we have a lot of opportunities. Class one, we, we have class three officers that 
worked in courts and worked front desk. And we went down on the road, worked at Hanson 911 calls. Dispatchers, we need dispatchers. There's a lot of opportunities with the sheriff's office to be involved. And uh, so we need more Christians in law enforcement. So wherever you like to serve, get on board. Uh, right. it, it's a tough job, but it's a it's a fulfilling job. Right. You know you've helped me, for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Thank, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you for letting me be here. Yes, sir. Enjoy it. Yes, sir. Juan Wilson Paris, and that's a good word.